Cool, thanks. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you guys. Um, and yeah, thanks so much, Anne, for reading that out. Um, we're going to have another message just in this sort of series we've been tracking through the last four weeks. Um, basically looking at different adjectives or way to describe how we respond and live for God in light of his grace. And we talked a few weeks ago from Romans 12 about being wholehearted and, and in, um, in response to God's mercy and wholehearted love for us, we serve him wholeheartedly. Um, we talked about being generous, about being devoted to God in holiness and, um, and having a mind blank what we talked about last week. That's not good. Hope. Oh, good. <laughs> need to remember hope. <laughs> About being hope-filled. Um, even in, in really um, like terrible situations that seem hopeless, that actually we can still have hope because of what God has said. And I want to finish, we're actually going to finish it this week um, with this idea of being passionate. Um, and actually, we're to serve God with passion. And Think about this word, though, because this word gets used in lots of different ways, and maybe it sort of even brings up different things for you when you think of it now. And probably for most people these days, if you can click on to the next one, um, Nath, that'd be good. Um, people sort of think of passion as just excitement and enthusiasm and just having energy and, and really caring about something, and, that's, and that's, that is how we use the word for the most part. And we want to be like that for God. Um, because of who he is and what he's done and his grace and his mercy, we want to serve him with passion and we want to be enthusiastic. But sometimes that word can kind of seem just like an emotional word. It's kind of like if you're feeling it, if you're excited, if things are good, we'll be passionate. Um, but if things go bad, if actually we're serving Jesus and that life gets worse, or people oppose us, or there's pain, or there's suffering... The idea of being passionate doesn't really seem to make sense. It might be even be, be able to say, like, oh, that's just a bit too far. We don't want to upset people. We don't want to be too passionate that actually causes problems. But the interesting thing is, when you think about the word passionate, it's related to passion. And then we even use the word passion in relation to Jesus suffering on the cross. It's the movie The Passion of the Christ. And the actual history of the word passion is actually related to the Latin word link, linking to suffering. Um, and we even see this in words still today like compassion. If you have compassion for someone, you, you're with them in their suffering, or you, you stand with them, you care for them in their suffering. So the word passion actually in some ways is linked to suffering, and in some ways could even be used to say, actually, what do we like to be so passionate that we're not just enthusiastic or emotional, but actually willing to suffer for Jesus? Actually, that kind of passion, that even when we're opposed, even when things are hard, even when actually maybe it might make life more difficult, we stay passionate, we stay engaged, we stay serving him. So we're going to kind of look at that idea of responding to God's grace and love with passion, but not just a passion that's enthusiastic, but a passion that's even willing to suffer. And this is a pretty heavy message. We're going to go through that passage in, in Philippians 1, um, and pretty challenging. And even as I come to speak this day, I kind of don't really feel qualified to preach this message, because I've not really experienced a whole lot of suffering or persecution or opposition for Jesus. I actually really blessed Nathan Harding's coming next week, who works for Open Doors, like Ian said, and, and he has visited Iraq and other Christians who are persecuted around the world, and he's going to come and share some of their stories, and they're really qualified to, to speak. So I'm not speaking from my experience today, but I want to speak from what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, because he's writing this letter, 
And he's someone who's incredibly passionate about Jesus. He actually used to put Christians in jail and persecute them. And then he has this amazing experience with Jesus where he sees Jesus alive. His life is transformed. He even changes his name from Saul to Paul. And then he lives the rest of his life telling people about Jesus, spreading this good news. He even says, I don't really care about my life. I just care about Jesus and people knowing Jesus. And Paul, even when he experienced real hardship and suffering, stayed passionate and even joyful in the midst of it. So what I'm going to do today is, is go through this passage, because it's pretty, it's pretty full on, um, but let it speak to us and, and maybe shift something in us that we could become people who are passionate in the sense of even being willing to suffer for Jesus. Um, so I might pray, and then, then we'll start to look through Philippians 1. Yeah, Father, thank you so much for your word and, and your spirit and your son, and thank you that you're with us um, this morning. And yeah, we're talking about pretty massive things, and we just ask God for you to speak to our hearts, uh, speak encouragement and life and truth, and um, help us to see things your way, God. Make us people who love you and serve you, even through pain and suffering, and just pray you'd speak um, today in your name. Amen. So Paul is writing this letter, and he's actually in prison, so he's already suffering. He's been locked away. Um, he's in a Roman prison. It's probably not very comfortable. Uh, it's probably not really a place you'd like to be. And he's writing to Philippians. And they are also kind of experiencing some persecution or some suffering as well. And it's interesting because he doesn't say, oh, life's so hard. It's so terrible. Like, maybe we should just pull back a bit. Maybe we should just ease off. He, he says the opposite. This is what he says in Philippians to this, to this church. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus. As a result, so as a result of Paul being in prison, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul's in prison. He's been going around visiting churches, spreading the gospel, and now he's in prison. You'd think he would say, oh, this is so frustrating. I can't go out. I can't do my work. This is so uncomfortable. This is, this is a big inconvenience. But he doesn't. He says, actually, me being in prison has advanced what I'm all about. It's actually helped my mission. It's actually led to more success. He's saying because all these guards and all these um, people around, they know that I'm here because of Jesus, and that means they're hearing about Jesus and the message is going out. And then he said there's all these other believers who are free who may have, may have been fearful, and Paul being in prison, instead of that making them scared, it actually made them more bold. They actually said, actually, no, we're going to go and tell people. And then he keeps going. He says it's true. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So there's people talking about Jesus for all different sorts of motives. The latter do it out of love. No, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So he's talking about there's these people out sharing the message. Some are doing it because they're actually really bold. They love Paul. They love Jesus. They want people to know. Some are doing it, and this could be different things. It could be that they kind of uh, competing with Paul, and they kind of want status, and they want to be recognized, and they kind of are happy Paul's out of the picture. Or it could be that they're not really Christians. They're just like, 
people in the street who are talking about this Jesus and maybe even mocking it and sort of saying, did you hear there's this guy that's telling people about this crucified guy who's now the king and he's alive? And, like they might be talking like that. And Paul, Paul says, well, it doesn't really matter why they're talking about Jesus. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice. Paul's saying, actually, the the people are hearing about Jesus. That's my goal. The fact I'm in prison is actually helping that. And he's in prison, and he's rejoicing. This just seems crazy. And Paul's whole way of viewing his situation is that he's actually saying suffering can actually lead to success. We would think that it looks like failure. He's in prison. He's out of the picture. Or it looks like, what, what, what hope is there? But actually, he's saying, no, this is actually leading to more success as to what I'm actually about. Tom Wright says it this way, How often are we tempted to feel discouraged because the plans we had were badly thwarted, or because malicious people were trying to make life difficult? We need to learn from Paul, and long before from Joseph, the art of seeing God's purposes working out through our problems and difficulties. God meant it for good. The king is being announced, and I'm going to celebrate He's talking about the, the story of Joseph. Joseph's sold um, into slavery. He, he's falsely imprisoned. He has all these terrible things happening. At the end of the story, he reflects and he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. This looked like failure. This looked like pain. This was suffering. But actually, God used it for success. And it's, this, it's almost like a filter. Like, it seems like filter coffee is getting more popular recently. And it's this idea, right, you, you pour the coffee, you filter it, you have to pass it through something. And that's what a filter is. And in some ways, Paul almost has a filter. When he looks at his life circumstances, when he looks at the things that are going on, he doesn't just look and see jail equals failure or suffering. That means, no, I don't want that. He, he, he looks at his life circumstances, the things that are going on, and he filters them through God and God's purposes and God's plans and what God is doing. And he actually sees, well, actually, what looks like failure, what looks like pain, actually is God working. What looks like evil is, is evil, but God is using it for good. And actually, he can see God's purposes in the midst of the suffering and the pain. And we see this all throughout Scripture, again and again. The stories, And ultimately, in the story of the cross, so it seems like the most tragic evil thing that could happen, that Jesus would be crucified, God is at work. He's actually achieving his purposes for the world. It's actually success. Jesus is actually defeating evil in that place. And there's this filter that he filters everything through. James says this again. This seems kind of offensive. He says this to people suffering. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Like, have you said that to someone recently who's, who's gone through a hard time? Like, you should be happy about the pain and suffering. Like, like, that's what James says. Consider it joy. That's the filter. Filter it through what God can do. He says, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He's saying, well, actually, suffering is not enjoyable. He's, this is not at all saying it's good, but it's saying that actually God can use it to create a stronger faith, to create joy, to create perseverance. Like for Paul, God can use it so that even more people find out and other people are made bold. God, God can use the difficult circumstances and things we face for good. We actually put it through a filter that actually if we're passionate for Jesus and it leads to suffering, that doesn't mean failure. It could actually mean success. It could lead to success.
He keeps going then, and we sort of get more of an insight into, into Paul and his heart and his passion for Jesus and just, just how much um, his heart is, is for this one who saved him and rescued him, this king. He says this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he's, he's expecting to be freed. He's saying, that, he's saying to the church, you need to pray for me. God's at work. Jesus' Spirit's at work. He's expecting to be freed. But if he's not, and if he dies, he also isn't that really that worried. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no ways be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And he is really facing the possibility of dying. Like he's in this prison. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He could be executed. So he's very close to death potentially. It sounds like he thinks he's going to be freed. But he says, if I'm freed, that's good. That leads to Jesus being exalted. If I die, that leads to Jesus being exalted. It actually doesn't really bother me that much. This is is where this man is at. Which is characterized in this famous line. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Which is going one step further even. He's not, he's not even saying, well, it doesn't really bother me if I die. He's actually saying, it benefits me if I die. Which is, seems like a crazy thing to say. He's facing death. And he says, actually, if I die, it's gain. And he seems very bold here. And, and he's not always like this. There's other times in Paul's writing when he seems more afraid and there's, there's, there's issues. So there's... there's this isn't like taking death lightly at all, but he understands something about what it means to die. And actually, we get some insight into that. He says it here. He says, if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. They're saying, if I stay alive, I'm going to serve Jesus and tell people and help the churches. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. He's going through this inner wrestling match of would I rather die or would I rather live? which is a strange thing to be wrestling with. But he says it flat out here. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul is not um, suicidal. (laughs) And he's not like um, glorifying death. He doesn't want to die. But he wants to be with Christ. And he knows that to die, if if it comes to that, means straight away he will be with Christ. And when he thinks about that, he says, well, actually, that's way better than having to stay here and, and, and do this work. He says, I want to do this work, but actually being in closer, intimate relationship with Jesus, that's actually, that's what I really want. He says, convinced of this, he says, actually, I, I need to stay, I need to serve. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, you're in your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He's, he's expecting to be released and that it's going to encourage them. They'll see that Jesus has answered their prayers. Um, so he, that's what he's expecting. And he says, actually, that that's what I'm for. But it's just so crazy that he even has this wrestle, that he even is saying, like, actually, if they were to do the worst to me and kill me, it would actually benefit me. And he even says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. And this, this passionate man who's in love with Jesus actually is basically saying for him death can be desirable. Which again is a crazy thing to think that, that 
that, that it could be desirable to die. We sort of, sort of in our culture these days as well, we sort of think death is the worst thing. We don't even really talk about it. But he's so confident of what will happen when he dies that it'll actually benefit him, that actually it's, it's not a big deal at all. Alexander McLaren puts it this way. One thought about the future should fill our minds as it did Paul's, that it is to be with Christ. It wasn't, he wasn't glorifying death, and I'm sure he still would have been afraid, but he knew that it led to being with Christ. He says, this is a noble and worthy reason for wishing to die. Not because Paul is disappointed and sick of life. Not because he's weighed down with sorrow or pain or loss or toil, but because he would like to be with his master. They're saying, it's not that Paul's like escaping life, I'm done with life, I'm sick of this place. Like That's not. Paul was full of life. Paul was passionate. He was serving. He was active. But he wanted to be even closer to Jesus. And his thought was actually, that's what, is, that's what passing through, that's what it leads to. It leads to closer intimacy with Jesus, and I want to be with him. Because Paul is in love with him because of what he's done for him. It's interesting, this guy Alexander McLaren talks a bit about this and gives some really cool pictures and, and quotes. And he tells, there's this one quote, I'll read that in a minute, which is this picture of, of death as basically being on a railroad. And he says, if you're on a railroad, a train line, and this is like the, the direction of your life, and if the direction of your life is like Paul, which is about Jesus, it's about the king, it's about the one who saved and rescued us, about the Lord of the world, then when you pass onto the bridge through death, he says, it's, it's no big deal. You just keep going. It's the same track. It's the same life. It's the same direction. It's the same purpose. It's just over the, over the edge, and the track keeps going. He says it like this. If we magnify Christ in our lives with the same passionate earnestness and concentrated absorption as Paul had, our lives, like some train on well-laid rails, will enter upon the bridge across the valley with scarce a jolt. It says life will just go on into Christ's presence. That Paul is so confident of that. He's, he's not freaking out that he's just going to fall asleep, that he's not sure what's going to happen. There's a confidence. Actually, my life is towards Christ. If I die, it just means I be with Christ. McLaren says this, No jolt, no pause, no momentary suspension of consciousness, no reversal, not even interruption in his activity. Did Paul expect death to bring him, but only continuance and increase of all that was essential to his life, that life would continue with Jesus and it would even be more intimate and more close and more beautiful, that, that it was actually gain is the word that he used, which is, which is, again, it just seems crazy, but actually it was because of his picture of who Jesus is, his confidence of what his death had achieved and that he's alive. And actually death can be desirable. And Paul is saying the, the worst they could do to him is kill him, and actually that will be gain for him. He gets to be with Jesus. So he's, he's willing to suffer. He keeps going then, and, he, and then he starts to talk more to the Philippians and the situation they're in and, and some of the suffering they're facing. He says that to this, to them, this to them, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so worthy of the good news of Jesus. Then whether I come to you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. They're so saying to them, like, they are facing some opposition. Things are difficult. He says, behave in a way that honors Jesus 
and stay together and stay united. That's really important for the church to be united. If, if people are divided, if there's problems, it's going to be hard to stand, especially in opposition. He says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. So he says, there's people who are opposing you. There's people who are against you. Who knows what it was? Maybe people have lost their jobs. Maybe they are in threat of, of danger or rejection or, or maybe even imprisonment. And he says, don't be afraid. And actually, if you're not afraid, it's actually a sign to them that actually, in a sense, that you're, what you're talking about is true and the way you're living is in line with the true life and with the way they're living is, is a life that's passing away. It's kind of, I read one guy who sort of talked about it, an illustration Imagine if you're like on a job site or you're in the office or something like that and you've talked to the boss and the boss says, this is how we're going to do things now. And it's, and it's a different way. Um, it's different to how it was done before. So you start doing it the way the boss has told you, but everyone else around you doesn't, hasn't heard this and they think, why are you doing it that way? And they start to hassle you for it and say, well, the boss told me this is the way that we do it. And they start to attack you even and say, like, that's not how we do it. Like, that's not right. And they start to give you a sack of problems and so forth. If you're just confident, they say, no, the boss has told me, I know this is the way we do it, and you just keep doing it. Eventually, they first start to realize, well, he's pretty confident. Like, he's not freaking out. Like, he's pretty sure about that. It actually can lead to a shift. And in the same way he's saying that, if actually, if, 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 to the Philippians, if you're just confident, if you're not afraid, if you know, actually, we know who's in charge, it's Jesus, this is how Jesus has said to live. This is what Jesus has said life is about. So we're just going to keep doing this. You can do what you want, and you can make like hard for us, but we're not really bothered because Jesus is in charge. It's actually a sign that you're, what you're saying is really true. There's some real weight behind it. Um, so he says, don't be afraid. And then he says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And again, this is crazy. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Again, Paul is saying basically that persecution can be a privilege. We would not normally think of that like that. That actually facing difficulties and pain and suffering for Jesus could be a privilege. Eugene Peterson actually translates it this way. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. Again, this, is, this seems crazy. This, again, kind of almost seems a bit offensive. Like, like to say to someone who's suffering persecution and pain, actually it's a gift from God. It seems, seems crazy, but it's actually the word that he uses. The word there where it says it's been granted to you to suffer is the word linked with the word we have for grace, which is linked to gift. It's a gift of grace that God actually gives. And, and, and like, it's just crazy to think that. Like if, if we're talking to people who, are, or maybe, maybe even you know someone, or, or you've experienced it, you've experienced opposition and, and difficulty for your faith, and you walk with Jesus, the normal thing we would say, oh, it's okay, like, hopefully it won't last long. Like, we'll try and help you out. We'll try and get you out of it. And, and again, those things are still good. But, but imagine saying, to, like Paul's saying to this church, there's suffering difficulty and there's pain and there's hardship. And Paul says, it's actually a gift from God to you. And you think, what? <laughs> like, that actually sounds crazy. 
But this is, is normal throughout the Bible. Jesus says this repeatedly, blessed are you when you're persecuted. It happens again and again. James said, consider it joy when you face difficulties and trials. This lady Margaret says, the New Testament authors regarded suffering as a privilege because they saw it as a way of identifying and sharing in Christ's suffering. It's this idea that Jesus, who we follow, suffered greatly. He went to the cross, and he calls us to follow him and to represent him. And, and the sort of thinking is, well, if we're representing him well, it will probably lead to suffering. And that's, that's a gift in the sense it shows that we're representing him. It shows that we're his people. It shows that we're identified with him. And, and actually to, to view it as a privilege, which is just a whole flip in how we might think about something that just seems crazy. And again, it's not, 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 he's not at all saying it's good, but that God is at work in the midst of it. And it's actually a way of identifying with Jesus, the king who suffered. And we sort of get to the heart of, like, what, how is Paul like this? Like, he's saying things that just seem crazy. He's having joy in prison. He's, he's not bothered and even joyful about death. He's saying that facing opposition is even a gift. Like, like how does he get to be like that, that passionate and that even willingness to suffer? And we think, well, actually, he knows Jesus, and Jesus is the most passionate one. He's the one who's willing to suffer the most. He's actually the one, Paul will go on to say in Philippians 2, that though he was with God for all eternity, though, though he is God, though he, he didn't account a God, equality with God, something to be grasped, he left heaven, he came to earth to love people who even reject him, to, to serve to give, he didn't come as a king that dominates with power, but a king that serves and helps and heals. And even to the people that he came to love and serve and heal, they reject him and, and persecute him and cause him to suffer greatly and even crucify him. Yet he goes to the cross and they, they put like a crown of thorns on his head and they, they mock him as a king, but he's actually taking his authority as king through suffering through love. And he he's dies, and it looks like a tragedy, but God's actually at work, and in the cross, Jesus is not just dying as a tragedy, he's taking our sin, he's taking our pain, he's taking our death, and he's bearing it for us, so we don't have to. And actually, God is at work in the midst of that, and he defeats death, and he comes back to life. He's the truly passionate one that would love us that much, that he would even go to the cross to die for us, that he would defeat death so that we can have life with him. Paul then used this Jesus. This is the Jesus that just transformed his life. And there's this line that Paul has in Galatians that just kind of characterizes what, the way that he thinks and the way that he approaches life. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer consider and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's saying, I, my, I consider my old life dead. Paul is dead, I'm alive with Jesus. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's a life of trusting and resting in Jesus, in his spirit, in his grace, in his mercy, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul saw Jesus, the true king, the true God, the true Lord, would humble himself to the point of death on a cross. And that just fully transformed his life 
So now he follows the same Jesus with the same, with a similar passionate love that's reflecting and representing Jesus. And it seems crazy, but like, it seems crazy that God could rescue the world through going to the cross, but he did. It seems crazy that he would rise again from the dead, but he did. And what Paul is saying is actually God's at work in my suffering, and actually God's going to raise me from the dead. Like, like he's in, it's in line exactly what Jesus has done. So we, in a similar way, can be passionate people. Not just emotionally, but passionate even in the sense of being willing to suffer. When we see the passionate love of Jesus that would suffer and die for us. The point is not that we work up some passion and like we're just going to go out there and suffer and, or like be masochistic. Like that's not the point. Like the point is if we see Jesus, if we see who he is, if we let that shape our hearts, then, then we can follow him, empowered by his presence and his spirit and his love and be passionate for him. And then if we suffer, it might look like failure, but God can actually use it for success. So that we don't need to fear it. And if the worst comes and we die, God says that we're with Jesus, that actually no one can really kill us. We have life in him now. We have eternal life. So it's actually, it's okay. And actually, if we are persecuted, it's a privilege. We're united with Jesus. And God says there's a blessing in that place. And again, these, these things seem crazy, but actually in line with the way that Jesus lived his life with the storyline of the Bible, and in many ways, most of history. It's kind of interesting, like, coming to preach this message this week. I kind of got this message together a few weeks ago. I kind of just came together really quickly and just saw the passage and things just came out, and it was just like, okay, that works. Like, that seems right. That's good. That's biblical. Yep, let's go with that. I feel like that's what God's saying. And and then it was only kind of probably like last night, the last couple of days, actually start to let this hit hit me. Be like, this is full on. Like, this is a completely different way of approaching life than than I do now, and then most of us probably do. But this is incredibly consistent with the story of the Bible. This, if we read through the Bible, this this way of approaching life is just everywhere. And and the normal experience for God's people is to it is to face opposition and persecution and difficulty. You read Hebrews 11 is the this history of faith. Almost everyone there suffered persecution or rejection or misunderstanding. Jesus is the one we follow, misunderstanding, persecution, death. Paul, most of the apostles, so many people throughout church history, so many people in the world today. Like that that, that actually the, the sort of way that often we approach Christianity, which is kind of this it's this really nice thing that we do and we go to church and it's nice and we sing songs and it's nice. It's like it's actually really far from what most people have experienced in history and what's actually really biblical. But it's easy to just be like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that sounds good. That sounds right. We're, we're done now. Like, yeah, okay, that was a good message. Let's get some morning tea. Like, and, and not just sort of let it sink in. And actually, like, we're talking about life and death. Like, we're talking about a God who would go to a cross. Like, we're talking about the, 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 what is central to all of life. And actually, we're talking about being willing to lay down our lives for Jesus, like many people in the world still need to today if they follow him. And in some ways, the experience that we have that actually it's quite safe to follow Jesus, there's not much cost, um, is quite rare. It's not the normal experience. 
And in some ways, it's actually maybe, maybe some, some people would say it's even more difficult because you can kind of just get lulled to sleep and we kind of just think, well, life is nice and we have nice things and things are good and, and we just kind of get comfortable. And then if, if actually it comes to it that life is getting harder through Jesus, we might sort of slink back and sort of say, well, actually, I, I like a comfortable life. I don't want to count the cost. But the stories throughout, that Nathan will share next week throughout Christians who are persecuted, the stories throughout history, even Paul in prison, is obviously that there's pain and suffering, and that's not good at all. But there's joy, and there's intimacy with God, and there's hope, and there's life. And that actually, this, this is not just about suffering and death. and It's about life, actually living for what most matters, living for what is eternal, living for what actually will make the most difference. And the people who have done that throughout history, many of them suffer for it, but they have life. One of them, um, Martin Luther King Jr., stood up, calls out injustice and evil, stands for God and suffers and dies. He said this, no one really knows why they are alive until they know what they die for. That he was alive to God and to his mission and to the purposes that God had put on his heart and even willing to die for it. Jim Elliott, missionary, died young, reaching out to, um, um, to, to, to a people group in South America, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Actually, he had life in Jesus and he was willing to, to give his life now for the eternal life that lasts forever. And, and what we're talking about today is not just this like pain, suffering, death, but life. It's about, well, actually, what does it look like to be so passionate and in love with Jesus that even if we face hardship and opposition and death, it'd be fine. And like, I don't think I have that passionate love for Jesus, like, but I feel challenged by that. Like, I want that. We want it to be worked up and actually, actually, yeah, Jesus is everything. He's the Lord. He died for us. Actually, we want to live for him even in the face of difficulty. And I feel challenged in myself. Maybe I don't experience that much persecution, opposition, and maybe it's because it's just nice to be comfortable and it's just nice to play it safe and it's nice to hang back. Whereas actually, if I was to push forward and actually serve and actually stand up and speak up, maybe it would lead to more difficulty and maybe that's why I don't do it. And I feel challenged by that. What would it look like to be passionate though and actually say, well, actually, even if the worst happens, it doesn't matter. God can be at work in that. And there's a freedom there. A freedom of, actually, we don't have to just react to circumstances and issues, but can actually just say, God has called me to this, I'm going to do this. God has called me to love people, I'm going to love people. God has called me to serve Jesus, I'm going to serve Jesus. And actually, there's a freedom there. So we're going to, we're going to respond today. Haley's actually organized just for a, a video um, to, to listen to, a song, and some slides. I just encourage you to take a few moments and, and I guess just try and let this sink in a bit. Let, let Paul's perspective, let Jesus' death and resurrection, let some of these guys' testimonies just sink in a bit and be like, actually, yeah, this is, this is what life is about. Like, this is life and death sort of stuff we're talking about. Like, this is everything or it's nothing. It's not just a little bit. It's not a part of life. Jesus is saying it's either all or nothing, not, not just a little bit on a Sunday, but, but actually if he's Lord and King, then it's everything. 
So let's just respond. I'm going to pray and we'll watch this video and, and just take some time just to let it sink in in prayer. So Father, we just thank you um, yeah, for who you are, God, a God of love um, who would come and die. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have even in the midst of pain and suffering and persecution. And would you just stir in us, God, a greater love and passion for you, even a willingness to suffer for you, a willingness to stand for you, um, not in our own strength, but by your grace and by your mercy and a response to your love. And if we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you even just speak to us now? Um, yeah, let, let this sort of take root in our hearts and, and shift our mind and our perspective. We just pray this in your name. Amen.